Well, I know it's possible to teach old dogs new tricks. The question is whether I am one. Not whether I'm an old dog, but whether I can learn new tricks. I am, I have my sermon notes on my iPod, I mean my iPad, Because that's the way Barrett did it, and I've seen Kristen do it. And I'm not going to let them outdo me. <laughs> but I do have a hard copy backup, so we're, we're going to try this. When I was a seminary student preparing to graduate, my classmates and I were given the opportunity to fill out form IRS 4361 to opt out of Social Security. That's an option given to ministers and to members of the Christian science and to some religious orders. This option is given in recognition that for some the belief that God will take care of them is so strong and and to trust in something the government does violates that sense of trusting what God will do. So for them, opting out is an option. To opt out, one had to affirm under penalty of perjury that to rely on social security social security is to place their faith in the government rather than God. Incidentally, in case you're wondering, the belief that social security would be defunct by the time we needed to draw it, or that it was not the best investment they could make with their resources, are not provisions which allowed you to opt out. But the future and finances often go together. And is there anyone here who has not been bothered at some point by that pesky little topic of money? I don't see any hands. As long as there has been money, there has been the need and desire to have more of it. Even in ancient times, the Romans had a proverb that said that money was like seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier you get. Everybody here knows that a certain amount of the stuff is essential, right? So this man, from whom we heard when Christian read the scripture, this man on the outskirts of the crowd raising his voice is not something unusual for that day. In fact, in Jesus' time, it was not unusual for someone to go to a, a trusted rabbi with a question to decide a, a case of conflict. 
So that he went to Jesus is not unusual. In fact, that he approached Jesus with the question indicates that he, he trusted Jesus as a rabbi. But Jesus was unwilling to be drawn into the issue. I think Jesus must have known, as you and I know, that nothing will divide a family quicker than fights over who gets what and when. It's an issue that creates problems. Jesus was unwilling to enter that question. Rather, since money is such an important topic affecting every adult human being, Jesus seizes the opportunity to teach them and us about its use. He does so in the parable Christian read for us. And about this parable, let's make certain observations. First, the man was a rich farmer. Growing up, as I did in rural Missouri, rich farmer is an oxymoron. The two words seem not to go together. Poor farmer, dirt farmer, we understood. But this man is a rich farmer, and his being rich seems not to have been a problem for Jesus. He was rich. That's not a problem. The second observation we make here is that his harvest was abundant. No doubt this farmer believed that the abundant harvest was due to his own hard work and good crop management. And without doubt, his hard work and crop management must have gone into it because wheat doesn't plant itself, it doesn't harvest itself. So the farmer had something to do with it. But Jesus is emphatic in saying that it was the land that produced the abundance. A minor issue that the farmer seems not to have considered at all. Everybody acquainted with farmers knows that there are some abundant years when the rainfall is just right and the weather is perfect and the ground is fertile and the crops are abundant. But every farmer also knows that in successive years there may be a lean harvest. So a wise farmer puts things by in store. Jesus doesn't condemn this farmer for being wise enough to save some for the future. The third observation we make is his abundance created a dilemma. He had already set so much aside that his silo space was all used up. His barns were full and he had to decide what to do with his excess. What could he have done? Well, I don't know. I, I, in my own simple way of seeing things, he, he could have hosted a village-wide festival to celebrate the abundant harvest. 
He could have established a community food bank to provide for the needy. He could have sold the excess and given the money to the priest for distribution to the poor. Or he could tear down his existing barns and build even bigger barns to preserve what he had and provide for future growth. The fourth observation we make is he made a bad choice. Now we don't know what options this farmer in this parable may have considered, but it was the latter that he chose to tear down his barns and build bigger barns all for himself. He seemed unwilling to see beyond himself and his own needs. It was written of a certain English woman that Edith lived in a very small world bounded to the north, south, east, and west by Edith. This farmer was of the same mindset. He failed or refused to see the needs of others or even to realize that his abundance was a blessing from God. And this attitude earned him a rebuke from the Almighty, according to Jesus. God said, you fool. Now the term in the Greek text I consulted is actually foolish man. Not only was he foolish, but he was a mere man who had opportunity to partner with God in caring for the hungry and the hurting, and he was too foolish, dare we say even too stupid, to realize this opportunity. Well, any good sermon moves eventually to application. I doubt that there are many farmers in this group, though there may be some, but we can all identify, at least to an extent, to this man, with this man, can we not? We all have to ask ourselves, how much is enough? When do I have sufficient? It is recorded that when John Wesley, from whose teaching and preaching the Methodists sprang, when Wesley was a student at Oxford, his annual income was 30 pounds. He lived on 28 pounds and he gave two pounds away. Through the years, as his income rose, he continued to live on 28 pounds, which included a tithe, and he gave away the balance. Now, I can't personally vouch for this because John Wesley was a little bit older than I am. But I can say there is a record of his being approached by a taxman who demanded to know how much silver plate he possessed. Wesley replied, 
I have two silver spoons in London and two in Bristol, and I will not be adding any more while so many around me want bread. The preceding chapter, prior to the one we read from, in chapter 11, that chapter begins with the disciples requesting, Lord, teach us to pray. And you are acquainted with how Jesus begins. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, just as it is in heaven. Is it a fantasy to hope that life on this earth could become a foretaste of what heaven will be like? If so, it's a fantasy Jesus taught us to pray for and to plan for. Jesus calls the farmer foolish because he could have partnered with God in making a difference. But instead, he chose to keep all he had and amass all he had for himself along with everything he could possibly get. He could have chosen to be rich toward God using Jesus' words, and he chose not to be. He thought he had taken the worry out of life and that he had everything under control. And for that, Jesus said he was foolish. Money not only allows us to buy the things we need and some of the things we want, but saving some of it takes some of the scare out of an uncertain future. There's nothing wrong with that. But the truth is we can never save enough or be rich enough to be in total control of our futures. For those who may be wondering, I did not opt out of Social Security. In fact, I know of only one pastor who did. Having a savings nest egg is smart. But every Christian has to ask herself or himself, how much is enough? What do I really need? How can I partner with God to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven?